0: Let me begin this morning by mentioning just a few names. Some of, some of you might remember these names. Jesse Owens. Bruce Jenner. Mary Lou Retton. Carrie Strug. Michael Phelps. Simone Biles, maybe a little more recent, right? Allison Felix gave a good testimony as well. Every four years, as you know, an event takes place that captures the minds of the entire world, and we know those, of course, as the Olympics. If you're like me, you love watching the Olympics, not just for the sport, but simply because you're patriotic. You want to see America win, right? You love to see America win. You stand there or you sit there on your couch and you're beaming with pride. We all see our team. You see the American team. You see the American flag. You hear the national anthem. It's really cool. The entire world comes together and we won that event. It's great to watch. Now, even though all of us love to see our team win, our country win, few of us understand what these athletes have to pay to get to that point. Years upon years of rigorous training and discipline that has to take place beforehand. How many of you remember, I'm looking at the age group, how many of you remember in 1980 watching the Winter Olympics? I'll give you a helping hand. How many remember in 1980 watching the Olympics when the United States hockey team beat the USSR, oh, yeah. That's what I said, uh, all the certain group of people here at a certain age group. Man, that was awesome, wasn't it? I remember, I remember sitting there watching it. I was like three. Ken, I think he was like in his 40s. God, how old was I then? I don't, were you alive then? Oh. But I remember that in 1980, actually, I was in high school. Both myself and Ken were in high school. I just like to give him a hard time. We were in high school, and it was, it was just awesome. It was great, great to watch. Matter of fact, many years later, they actually made a movie. 2004, they made a movie called Miracle, and it was all about that hockey game. And if you watch the movie, you'll notice how the coach trained these people, and he worked this team hard. He worked them harder than they have ever done before. But that's what it was going to take. If you were to, to beat, back then, the mighty USSR, you had to train, and train hard. That same exact training, that same effort, that same discipline also needs to be applied in the Christian arena. Without the right training, without the right discipline, the people that God desires us to be will not become a reality. This morning, as I just mentioned a minute ago, before we get into our final chapter there in Philippians, I'd like to look at this text, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. And I hope to kind of piggyback off of what we had earlier discussed, kind of probably the last three weeks there as we went through uh, Philippians chapter 3. Hopefully uh, challenging us, if you will, on a new level on our walk with Christ. Okay, A new level, a new challenge. Where am I at? What am I doing? Am I having an effect day by day? Well, here in the book of 1 Corinthians, I'm sure you're probably there by now, at the time the Apostle Paul wrote this, the Greeks had two great uh, athletic festivals. One of them, of course, was the Olympics. And the other one is what is called the Ithmian Games. I know it sounds like I have a lisp. It is the Ithmian Games. The Ithmian Games were actually held in Corinth, in case you didn't know that, and therefore they were very familiar with whom Paul is writing to here. And therefore, there was uh, the Corinthian people, the Corinthian church. We're not going to have any problem understanding the illustration that Paul is about to give them. But before we actually look at that and read that section, let me just back up just a couple of minutes and just to set up the context. In verses 19 through 23, Paul uses himself as an example, Okay, not in any kind of an arrogant fashion, but he uses himself as an example of what a dedicated Christian life looks like. He wants to give them this picture. Okay? If, you're, if you're still thinking about sports, he's going to talk about the race that he has been running, if you want to look at it that way. Okay, Listen to what he says in verses 19 through 23. Paul says, though I am free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, that would be the Gentiles, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, he says. Why? Why did he do that? He says, so he can win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Folks, when you read that text, you just got to say this is what Paul was all about. This is everything that made this man tick. Paul put his ministry of the gospel above his personal desires. As you can see, he was willing to conform to the customs of other people, whether Jews or Gentiles, Okay, in order, he says, to bring them to Christ. Paul did not have some whiny 21st century attitude. He simply said, I have become all things to all people so that I might save some. When Scripture tells us that heaven rejoices when one person comes to faith in Christ, Paul made that his pursuit. That became his quest. This is what I do. This is what I long for. And it's with that thought, it's with those words, that brings us to the illustration of the games So keep reading with me in verses 24 to 27. He now says, Do you not know that in a race, all of the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul previously told us in verse 22 that he will do whatever it takes to fulfill his ministry, right? He shared all that. Whatever it might take to save some, he said. Well, as he begins here in verse 24, it's, it's like he's defending That attitude, okay? It's almost like as if someone is asking him, Paul, why in the world do you put so much effort into this? And then he answers with verse 24. Do you guys not know that in a race, he says, all of the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Duh, right? Therefore, run in such a way as to get the prize. So Paul, his ultimate point here for every person who professes the name of Christ is that they should run their Christian life, the Christian race, if you will, like these runners. And that is in an all-out effort to win the prize, whether in an Olympic event or whether it is the Christian life, he's saying that we should exhibit certain traits if we want to win, if you will. Okay? Now, here, I believe Paul gives us the first trait, and that is a great desire. We need to have, as Christians, a great desire. That means we simply need to have. A passion. You know, go back and read later those verses I just read from Paul a minute ago. Paul had a passion. We need to have a passion. As believers, we have to ask ourselves, do I have that? Or is my Christian life something that I do eh, on the side? Right? Is, it, is my Christian life just it's kind of on the side? In Paul's mind, as you know, there is no giving up, right? We know that from Philippians chapter 3. We've been studying that. In Paul's mind, there is no slowing down. He told us that the Christian life is a continuing, ongoing, day-by-day process. Unlike today, it's not some once-a-week thing. It's not like, oh, gee, it's Sunday morning, right? I need to straighten up my behavior. No, he says it's, the Christian life, the Christian race is 24-7, 365. It's ongoing. It doesn't stop. It's who you are. To keep with Paul's use of sport, it's like most people who, who, who attend or go to professional uh, athletic games. Okay? Some people like to go to those games. depends on where you live, obviously. and Maybe they'll go once a month or something like that, but they love going to a, a, a professional game. But those people don't, well, let's just say, we'll talk baseball. Okay, take baseball. The, but those people don't stop. They don't stop at that. They'll go home and they'll watch it during the week. They don't just go once a month. They're going to come home. It's on TV. That's where their butts are. They're sitting there on the couch watching the baseball game. Many of them, probably in the form of softball, maybe even play it during the week. Okay, I used to do that. We had a church team in California. We'd play softball during the week. Outside of that, there might even be others who help teach it. I know Dave Hackworth, who isn't here. Dave Hackworth taught Little League for 17 years. See, So you have the guys who say, I'm going to go to the professional athletic game, but but I'm also going to play the game. I'm also going to watch the game. I'm also maybe even going to teach the game. See? And the whole point here is Paul is saying that, that, that our Christian life, the Christian race, is kind of the same as that professional athletic game. It's not just Sunday morning, right? It's a way of life. It's a way of life. Sadly, I think a lot of Christians, I say this, I mean really sadly, I think a lot of Christians can learn from some of the false religions What they believe does affect the way they live. What they believe does affect what they do. They seem to be dedicated people spending their Saturdays going to your door or maybe praying five times a day and doing what they do and all these different religions do their own different thing, but they're very dedicated for that. If they are that dedicated for a lie, what should that be telling us? As far as knowing the truth, are we as dedicated for the truth? Because they're sure sold out to tell people about a lie. Bring your minds back to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. What was the challenge here that Paul gave to the church? He says, I want to be like Christ, right? Remember Paul says, I want to be like Christ. And then he says, not that I have already obtained all this. I haven't arrived yet, right? I have not been made perfect, but I do press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, he simply says, I'm going to fulfill the reason that God has me on this earth. That's what I live for. God has a plan for me. I'm going to be a part of that plan. And then he says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of that. Once again, I haven't arrived. I'm still, I'm still moving forward. But he says there is one thing that I do. I forget what's behind me. I forget my past. I forget that all that's taken place, all the way back to my Judaism and everything else. He says and I move forward. I strain, he says, towards what is Ahead, That word strain actually deals with a, a runner who stretches, right? We've all seen people running. They get to the finish line. Some of them dive. Some of them stick their noses out just to get that, I mean, one thousandth of a second before somebody else. But that's what it means to stretch, to get everything you've got. Paul says, that's what I do. He says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus and so through the analogy of a race, Paul portrays the discipline. He portrays the self-sacrifice necessary to live the Christian life. That's his goal. That's why he is writing these things. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says in verse 24, only one gets the prize. Right? In a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. In the Isthmian Games, of course, which is what he's talking about, it's just like most sporting events. Only the winner will get the prize, right? These people do not train five and six days a week, month after month, just so they can get into the top ten. The people who train in these games train to get the prize. You and me today might say they train for the gold medal. They go for the gold, which is I'm sure you've heard that statement a million times. Same concept. Now, the good news in this analogy is that there's a great difference between the athletic race and the Christian race, if you will. Every single solitary born-again Christian who runs the race can win. Okay? You see, we don't compete against one another. It's not you against me. Matter of fact, our competition is spiritual, isn't it? It's spiritual, right? It's practical. It's an everyday struggle, really, with temptation. We all know Ephesians chapter 6, right? You guys should know that. Please understand that. Ephesians six twelve: Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Every Christian runs his own race, which means every single one of us can win. Okay? And therefore, at the end of verse 24, what does he say? He says, well then, run in such a way as to get the prize. Obviously, where he's using the illustration of the games, run as if you want to win. You want to give it your all. You do whatever you got to do. Everything you've ever had. Do that in the Christian life. Go for the gold, Right? Vince Lombardi, sure, you probably know who that is, legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s, in a speech called What It Takes to Be Number One, he said, Winning is not a sometime thing, it is an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while, you don't do things right once in a while, you do them right all the time. Winning is a habit. But then he says, unfortunately, so is losing. Every time a football player goes to play his trade, he goes to play from the ground up, he says. From the soles of his feet right up to his head. Every inch of him has to play. In other words, he gives it everything he's got. And that's what Paul is is saying here. You've got to give it you're all run the race in such a way that you will not settle for second place if we're keeping this mindset of the race that's the analogy don't run for second place live your life on a uh, on a daily basis for what it really is and that is the greatest thing that has ever happened to any of us here in this room today without question There's nothing that compares. The greatest thing that has ever happened to us is that Christ accepted us and forgave us of our sins and made us a part of the body of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. Therefore, it's that principle of saying, you know what, when you're out and about, then you share that. Share Jesus Christ with others. When you go on the job every day, live your life in faithfulness and godly standards, in obedience to his word. If you have kids, teach your children biblical principles. Hopefully, Lord willing, you have a home church. You're part of that. You're here. And you're consistent. You're faithful at that. You're involved in the local church. See? So every every day that we live out the Christian life has nothing to do with being in this room. But we live it out there. But when we do that, we're called to be like the runner who stretches, who strains towards the finish line. See, every last inch of you, he's saying you're trying to honor God with your life. Going into verse 25, Paul tells us two things. Number one, what we must do to win, okay? Number two, what the prize is that we are running for. Number one, what do we do to win? What does he say? He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Or you might have a uh, translation that says they exercise self-control. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Two words I want to look at just real quick. The word compete, okay, is the Greek word agonizomai. You've probably heard me say that before, and you probably know what it means now. It means agony. It means to agonize, right? So when you read it in English, it says everyone who competes. It just says you're competing. It just says you're in the race. But it means that you're agonizing. Remember that person who stretches toward gets every single thing he can? It means to contend. It means to struggle. It simply says there's no half-hearted effort. To compete in the games, he's saying, is to give it everything, to agonize. If an athlete wanted to enter the Ithmian Games that Paul is talking about here, he was actually required to train for 10 months. If he didn't do that, he could not even get into the race. Okay? Period. So the first qualification is you better dedicate 10 months of your life if you want to be able to. To go, or you will be disqualified. You'll be failed to go into the race. Now, obviously, the training is basically what you and I would see and notice today, right? Self control in your diet, getting enough rest, right? Bodily discipline, all those things, the things you do, you're in training. Let's take that and apply it, if you will, to the Christian. There are obviously things that as believers we need to do, right? God in His Word gives us standards of living, if for lack of better terms. It says, you are to do this. You are to live like this. Talk like this. Right? All these things that we want to do. and God's reminding us this is how we deal with these issues, right? But there are also things that we should not do, right? Do this, but don't do this. Otherwise, there are things that we need to exercise self-control over because they're incompatible with the Christian life. He says, if you're a believer, don't do this, don't be there, don't respond to them, don't be around. You know, you can just whatever you want to do through Scripture. For example, if if you were to think of the runner, think of uh, the long-distance runner, whatever. You cannot get up every morning and have biscuits and gravy for breakfast. Sorry, Ken. If you're a sprinter, maybe you run the 100 meter, the 200 meter, or whatever it is. You don't diet on Big Macs, right? You know, it's laughable, it's stupid. Which, of course, is why I put it there, because, well, you know. Leon Morris said this, he said, the strenuous self-denial of the athlete as he sought a fleeting reward is a rebuke to half-hearted, flabby Christian service. The athlete denies himself many lawful pleasures and the Christian must similarly avoid not only definite sin, but anything that hinders spiritual progress. So as the athlete does certain things, and he doesn't do other things, he says it's the same thing with a believer. Certain things you avoid, like biscuits and gravy and Big Macs. For us, he says, sin. <laughs> Anything that might hinder your spiritual progress. Right. Hopefully that reminded you of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It's very clear. I read it actually a few weeks ago in one of my other sermons. Right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? In other words, all those faithful people in chapter 11. That's who he's talking about. What are we to do? He says, here you go. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Then... Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Obviously, when the runners run, you'll notice they wear things pretty skimpy, right? They're not they don't have these really cool gold chains around their neck like Mr. T used to. That's dating myself, isn't it? They don't run in their Levi's and, and all these other things and their boots. I mean they, they they're down to like this many ounces of weight. They don't want anything hindering them to run the greatest race they can. Anything. How much do your shoes weigh? The spikes, whatever. For us, as a believer, it's sin. Anything that hinders us in that sense and easily entangles us, he says, do that. Then run the race that is marked out for us. So like the runner, we have to get rid of this stuff to be able to run the best race we can. Notice he doesn't just say, don't sin. He says, stop anything that might hinder your walk. You hear me say that sometimes. It's like the concept isn't just avoid sin, it's avoid the temptation. If you avoid the temptation, you'll avoid the sin. See, avoid something that would even just hinder your walk with Christ. Sometimes we want to do things that are blatantly against Scripture. We'll justify whatever we have to do, and then we face sin in the face, (laughs) and it's tough now to back off. Just avoid the temptation. Avoid what hinders that. He says, "How many of you guys played football back in high school days?" Anybody? One of you? Victor, they had high school back then? It did. They did have high school back then? Yeah. Hmm, all right. All right, Victor, this question's for you. You ever have double days? Oh yeah. Double days were brutal, folks. You got to work out twice a day. And it's always in the hot of the summer, right? You get there at like 7 a.m. and the coaches beat you into the ground for about three hours. It's horrible. Uh, wind sprints, burpees. Remember burpees? You you run in place like I can't do very much right now. You run in place like this and then you hit the ground like a push-up and you jump back up and do it again. Oh oh, it's terrible. It's vile is what it is. You do those, you do plays, and I mean you're so tired you can't even drink the water. It's terrible. And then you go home for an hour and then you come back and you do it again. It was horrible. I hated it. I hated it. But how many of us loved to win? We love to win. It was super cool, folks. It was an awesome experience, and maybe you've done other sports, but it was an awesome experience to beat the other team, to stand there in victory in front of everybody in the stands—maybe it's your friends, your family, whoever it may be. But it was—it was awesome. All the training was worth it every single time because we love to win. See, every time we won. Nobody really badmouth the training anymore. And that's a second trait that one must exhibit to win. That's discipline. Number one was a great desire, number two is discipline. The second thing mentioned here in verse twenty five, he says, What's the prize that we're running for? What did he say? He said they do it, they run the race, the Ithmian Games, the athletes run the race to get a crown, he says, that will not last. But we do it to get a crown, he says, that will last forever. Now, as I said previously, these guys entered the Ithmian Games, would be in strict training for at least 10 months. If they didn't do that, they could never even enter the games. But they'd have to do that to at least be ready for the games. Okay. Yet after all that training, day in and day out, it's hot outside, I don't want to get up, I'd like a Big Mac. All those things. They did everything they could. If they won the race, they would get a laurel wreath. Something that we've all seen before, it looks like, That. It's like something you'd wear with a toga outfit. (laughs) That's it, folks. That's what you'd get right there. And yet, you know what? That would be dead in about a week. It perishes. It's dead. See? All that work, all that training, everything you did for something that just perishes, it rots, and you just toss it. But he says the Christian's crown will last forever. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's Paul saying. But then he says, But not only to me, but to all who long for his appearing. We're all in the race, aren't we? Not just for Paul, for all of us. The crown of righteousness. What's the point that Paul is making here? If you're willing to work that hard for something that perishes, what does that say about someone who runs for something that will never perish? Look at all of the effort these athletes would put in, whether it's then or where you might picture it today, and compare that to the effort that you put into your walk with Christ. Now, in a certain way, many of us here today are like some of these athletes. How many of us here are sold out and would put in whatever time, whatever money, whatever effort, whatever, just doesn't matter whatever was necessary for some hobby that we have. Anybody wanna admit that? <laughs> one. You're all gonna to lie to me. Every one of you. Every last one of you are gonna to lie to me. At least Ken shaking his head. My wife will go who knows how many miles for a taco truck. It cost me twenty bucks in gas to get a taco. But people will do everything they can, whatever effort, whatever, to whatever it is they enjoy doing. Sports, sports equipment, hobbies, uh, uh, crafts. I mean, lots of us like to do certain things, and we'll just give it every bit of effort that we can. I like the illustration because we all know it. When all of a sudden you get a phone call, and and, and one of your friends you haven't seen in a couple years is going to come over for dinner. Oh, Lord. Help me. Uh, you know, usually it's the wife. sorry. The wife acts like you live in a pigsty. I mean you guys looking around. The place looks good to me. Oh no, we have to dust. We have to flip the cushions. We have to move the furniture. The windows need to be washed. The windows need to be washed. Are you kidding me? You go through four hours and you'll go bananas. Why? Because a friend is coming over for dinner as if they've never seen dust. Their place is perfect. But you go bananas because one person's coming over for dinner. Everybody laughs because you've all been there. Now keep in mind, because we all understood what I just said, I have to ask this question. When is the last time that we put that kind of effort into our Christian walk? You'll go nuts. you do everything. Oh, we're going to be here at noon. Okay. What about your own Christian life? Is it that important to you? Would you do that? I remember when I was younger, I'd play softball. I mentioned it earlier. How many times for any of us here, though, not just me, but... Uh, would you get off work you'd run home as fast as you can grab anything that's on the counter a banana a wheat thins whatever it is that you're going to grab grab your equipment change your clothes because you got to get to the game the game starts at 6 30 and you got to practice by six you don't get off work till five man you'll get there you'll do whatever you got to (laughs) do grab dinner change your clothes grab your stuff get there practice We've all done probably something like that at one time or another. Maybe it's taking your kids to, to ballet or whatever it is that you do. What if in another situation, you got a voicemail and it's someone from your church. Hey, my, my car broke down. I'm moving today and the movers called and we all have COVID. They can't make it. I got to get out of here. I need some help really bad. How many of us, just like the softball game, would say, Oh, I'll be right there? And how many of us would say, Man, I'm sorry, I just don't have the time. They give you one hour, you can drive home from work, grab a bite to eat, change your clothes, grab your equipment, wipe the face of your child and get there in time to practice a half hour early. But when there's a need of somebody else, a good friend in church, shoot, just don't have the time. That's the third trait, what it takes to win, and that is the word sacrifice. Sacrifice. Great desire, discipline, and then sacrifice. Listen, folks, every one of us in this room are willing to make sacrifices, and we all have. But we just have to start recognizing which ones are the most important. Say, As we're going to verse 26, Paul changes here to the first person singular. Okay? He starts using the word I so he's going to call attention to his own conduct. He says, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Okay? In other words, it's absurd to think that a runner is going to hit the track and have no eye on the finish line whatsoever. He's just running. It's like something you see in a comedy film. Okay? Okay? It's also just as absurd to think a boxer is going to jump in the ring and just start swinging, right? He's not going after anybody. He's not there to work up a sweat. That would be bizarre. And so Paul seems to be telling the Corinthians who are lax in their spiritual pursuit, he's saying, look it, you need, I would never do that. I would never do this. So he's basically saying, you need to emulate me as far as running towards the goal to win the prize. Another way of saying, you need to stop that. If that's your training, you need to get another trainer. He says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air." In other words, Paul is saying, I have goals. I have a purpose. I am in pursuit of something. Paul, as you know, is out there fighting the good fight. We just read so earlier in verses 19 to 23, right? He dedicated his life to that. He was doing whatever it would take, as he said, to win as many people as possible. And so Paul says, we have to train, we have to be disciplined, we have to make sacrifices for a crown that will never Perish. He's saying, do not train like someone who has no goals whatsoever. If you will, set your eyes on the prize. There's something that you're shooting for, right? One of the problems I think we have is too many times we focus more on the task than on the outcome. I think I shared this story with you, not maybe a few months ago, but it's not really. It is a true story, but it's simply of a man who's walking down the street and he he sees a bricklayer. Hey, how you doing? Good morning, man. How you doing? Good. What are you doing? Um, laying bricks. (laughs) Duh. Okay. Keeps on walking down the street. Sees another bricklayer. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. What are you doing? I'm building a cathedral. Building a cathedral. See, this man took pride in what he was doing. He didn't, he didn't have the mindset of, i got to go to work today and lay bricks. This guy says, I'm in this process of building a cathedral. See? You see, folks, a life without purpose is like a race without a finish line. If you're not doing something with your life, spiritually speaking... It doesn't really matter how long you live, does it? (laughs) There's no purpose. You're not in pursuit of anything, see? You're not running toward the finish line to win the prize. So Paul ends his challenge here in verse 27, and he continues the use of this, this analogy of the race. Right after he says, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. He says, no. I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul is saying, like the boxer, I don't give up. Okay? Now when he says, I beat, the word beat or discipline, maybe for some other ones, I beat my body, it's the Greek word that means to strike under the eye. It's as if he's saying, I give myself a black eye. Is, if, if That's kind of like what he's saying. In other words, Paul says, I physically wage war with myself so that nothing will prevent me from fulfilling my God-given role. We do battle ourselves many times, don't we? You may do that every day, getting out of bed. <laughs> but we battle ourselves. We battle our own attitudes. We, we know what we need to do and should do. Do we do it? We go back and forth in our minds. When I was a kid, my mother used to always use that phrase, working my fingers to the bone. I'm sure we've all heard that before. My mother used to always say that. This is what Paul is saying here. When he says, I beat my body, and then he says, I make it my slave, he's saying, I'll do whatever it takes. I will not sell God short, is what he's saying. And of course, if you've read your Bible numerous times, you know that Paul was the real deal. Paul never sold God short. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we all know it, verses 25 through 28, right? Remember Paul talked about how many times he was beaten with rods, how many times he was stoned, how many days he was shipwrecked, starving, naked, you name it. He went through this list. And you know, folks, every one of those things happened. You know why, right? Because he was serving the Lord faithfully and he wouldn't give up. He wouldn't back down. You remember when Paul was, was left for dead? They thought they stoned him? <laughs> this guy's a rag doll. He's dead. They threw his body outside. But he wasn't dead. His disciples are like, dude, let's get out of here. Let's, are you kidding me? No, Paul says what? We're going back in. Are you serious, Paul? You're going back in? Because he says, I, I, I'm, I'm doing everything i got to do. That's, we look at that as going, are you kidding me? <laughs> they just stoned you. They literally thought they killed you. They have no problem killing you. I'm going back in. So Paul, I mean, we can look at Scripture. He, he, he was the real deal. See? Paul did what he did because, as verse 27 says, he did not want to be disqualified for the prize. No, he's not talking about his salvation. Paul knew that he was forgiven. Paul knew that he had an eternity waiting for him. He's talking about losing his reward for faithful, sacrificial service. Okay? What does he say? He says, I don't want to be preaching to others and then find myself disqualified. Paul did not want to spend his life spreading the gospel, reaching out to others, and at the same time living his life in a contradictory fashion. Therefore, he exercised self-control. He fulfilled the task that God had given him. And he'd shown the Corinthians that what he believes and what he preaches in his personal life are the same. I don't just preach all this and do whatever. I preach it and I live it. It's like what he's telling them now. I'm asking you to do this and I'm giving myself as an example. He says, I don't think you should do anything less, he tells the church. And that's the last trait that one must exhibit to win and that's commitment. One must be committed. The unfortunate part of this is whether the Olympians or the, the Olympics or whether it be the Ithmian Games, there's only a few Christians, seemingly anyway, who will rise to the level of play exhibited by a champion if you continue with the illustration. And so my question, of course, is we got to close today. What does it take to be an Olympic Christian? What separates a champion from someone who just simply enters the event. Well, I think we've gone through them. A great desire, discipline, sacrifice, and commitment. And it's on a daily basis. It's not Sunday morning. It's not while I'm with other Christian friends. It's all the time. Ask yourself this question. Do you find yourself running in other races, and not really training for gods. You understand what I mean by that, right? You find yourself in running other races that are so important, the running home for the softball, the doing everything you got to do for here and here and here and this, but you'll never do that for the Lord. There's something more important than your relationship with God. If you do feel that you are in training ask yourself am i running to win or are you just in a fast walk or maybe a slow jog you're just there finish line will come sooner or later in other words you and me we're just cruising along in the christian life it's not that important you know this whole striving these real these you know people over here who just feel like they have to go to church all the time and bible studies and you know, do the things out that they should be doing in this world. Well, you know, that's fine, but I'm just going to cruise on till I get home. Christians, we must stop thinking that we can win from last place. Stop putting ourselves at the very end and thinking, oh, that's okay, I'm the winner. This whole thing is a great analogy that Paul uses of running the race as I thought of from Philippians 3, he keeps pressing on. He keeps moving forward. He does so to win the prize. And so it challenges us to think, are we lazy Christians? Do we just do little things here and there, show my face every couple Sundays and call myself a believer? Or am I actually pursuing to be that person, to, to win the prize, to run the race? Am I, is, it, is it agony? <laughs> In other words, am I fighting hard? Am I moving forward? Am I being strong? Or am I just another lackadaisical Christian? I hope it challenges us all because there are many lackadaisical Christians in this world. You can throw anything in front of them, they won't know if it's truth from error. They don't know what to do, they have no desire to honor the Lord. As a pastor, I want that for myself, but I also want it for everybody here. That's the goal. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we were able to spend this time this morning with this challenge. Lord, I felt that was just kind of carrying on the back there of Philippians 3. And, and this whole issue of running a race, is, Lord, is, is, is an easy analogy for all of us here because we understand that even today. We don't have the Ithmian games, but I don't care if you go to a high school track meet, Lord, we understand. And so, Lord, help us to be motivated. Help us to say, I don't want to be somebody who just enters to win last place and jog over the the finish line. Help us, Lord, to understand the prize. Help us, Lord, to pursue it wholeheartedly as we see the athlete, as they're training and they're hard and they're disciplined. They're faithful. And a lot of us in this room are probably that way in many areas. It may not be track and field, but it may be in something else. But Lord, help us if we, to realize if we can do that in something else, we can do that in our walk with Christ. And if we don't, challenge us, Lord, to understand what's more important. Help us to see this for ourselves. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.